Ed Files. I'm Jennifer Laviano, a special education attorney. And I'm Julie Swanson, a special education advocate. Case by case, we expose what really goes on in special education. Each episode, we open up a case based on real life experiences. We reveal where things went wrong and explain the legal implication. Finally, we solve the problem so you don't have to. Let's open up a file. All names in this podcast have been changed to protect the individual's identities. Let's open the file on Marco in the meeting. Jen, tell us all about it. Okay, Julie, as always, we start with the facts. Uh, the facts are that Marco was a fifth grade student who had uh, ADHD and he had an IEP for the ADHD um, for several years, actually. And um, as you and I know, um, but maybe our, our listeners don't all know, you know, attention deficit disorder can, can present itself in many different ways. For some students, it's distractibility. For other students, it's impulsivity and hyperactivity. Some kids have a little of both or a lot of both. Um, and so with Marco, he was one of those pretty stereotypical hyperactive kids. You know, he was very impulsive. He had a lot of energy. Um, great kid, you know, very, very capable intellectually, but socially he was really struggling because as the elementary school years were moving along, um, his interrupting of his peers and sort of being what would be characterized as very silly behavior got a bit annoying for some of his classmates. And they started then down the road of making fun of him and teasing him. And he was not really um, always in control of his behavior. And it just became worse and worse as elementary school moved on. And to the point where um, throughout elementary school um, and the elementary school he attended ended at fifth grade, um, he started avoiding school more and more. And while his parents were pretty successful in getting him to go, although mornings were a struggle, just getting him out the door and um, without a lot of resistance, and he was often late um, to school, uh, he would regularly leave the classroom with complaints that he needed to go to the nurse's office. And Julie, that's something we see a lot. And Jen, I think it's also so important to acknowledge the fact that struggling socially can be another impact of ADHD slash ADD. Um, and so, and many times um, kids who have, many students who have um, ADHD, this is a real problem for them, the social aspect. Definitely. And in Marco's case, he started getting bullied. Um, some, some pretty uh, aggressive bullying, frankly. And um, what was starting to happen is the nurse visits were becoming excessive, you know, and we, 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 uh, one of the first things I do when I'm hired is I ask for the child's educational records, including um, the, the nurse's visits, because it's a red flag that a student is trying to avoid school if they're, re if they're in the nurse's office all the time, unless they have a health issue. Uh, and so for him, he was just there every single day, sometimes many, many, many times a day. And uh, as fifth grade was moving on, his parents were just terrified about what was going to happen when he would have to transition the following year to middle school. And so they started to get the advice of his therapist and, you know, other people who were professionals who knew about um, the programs available in the area. They started to uh, look into the public middle school and tour it. 
and realized how very large it was um, because Marco was their oldest and they hadn't had experience with other siblings there. They were just becoming increasingly terrified. I mean, the word really is is that. Um, and so they um, were recommended by their um, son's psychologist to look into private smaller schools for him for middle school because of all of the activity of the public middle school, the social demands that are placed on students at that level, which we know is middle school is pretty miserable for everybody, uh, let alone for students who struggle socially and otherwise. Um, the demands of switching classes where part of um, Marco's profile with his executive functioning deficits, um, which are those organizational skills and planning skills that are really important um, for him, you know, the idea that he would have six or seven different classes with six or seven different teachers and a rotating schedule where there's A days and B days and, you know, period one, maybe or in the morning one day and, you know, in the afternoon on another, so many moving parts. And they just, they couldn't imagine him being successful in that environment. So, and may I add, Mm -hmm. may I add that if he was taking so much refuge in the nurse's office, um, in the, um, primary grade, grade school, what would the what would that look like for him in middle school? It, it's probably yeah. not going to get better, right? No. Things are going to get even harder, much harder. And so, uh, over um, time, and, and you know, there are we've said this before, but there are certain school districts that are very cooperative in how they work with families and the um, parents who have a disagreement about what's happening in the public school are worried about whether or not that that program can meet their child's needs. Just set up an appointment with the administrator. They have a great relationship. They come to some kind of a plan and it's all, you know, very cordial. There are other districts where all the parents in the district who have children with disabilities kind of know that it's going to be a battle. And um, that changes over time. Sometimes the culture of a district changes because they get a new administrator in or a new um, superintendent. Lots of factors go into how, um, you know, local school districts run their programs and what the uh, level of cooperation is. And unfortunately, Marco's family lived in a town that um, was a pretty regular defendant for parent attorneys in, in our state of Connecticut because they had a very uh, aggressive director at that time. This is going back a very long time at this point. And um, that person would um, really uh, make every every case a battle. And it was, you know, unfortunate. But for that reason, the, the parents, when they were recommended to look at a private school, uh, the private school and their psychologist told them, if I were you, I'd hire a lawyer because you're not going to get this program uh, without one. So they hired me. And um, we asked to have me uh, present at the annual review IEP meeting. And again, an IEP, Julie, is an individualized education program under the federal special education laws. And so they invited me to attend. And you and I attend IEP meetings on behalf of parents all the time. And so we're very accustomed to knowing how to go to these meetings in the hopes that we come to a consensus, but not always the expectation that we will, right? Right. And so um, I went to this meeting not expecting us to come to an agreement, but at least knowing that we would put uh, our concerns uh, in the document where um, the the school team is supposed to document parent concerns, and that probably after the meeting, the board attorney and I would agree to pursue some kind of an alternative way of resolving the dispute. Unfortunately, the meeting went sideways pretty quickly. Um, I got into the the IEP room, the team meeting room, which was a very small room. It was just tiny, and the team. 
um, which normally would have meetings for this child was usually like six or, six or seven people. But we've seen it before, Julie, um, the director decided to kind of stack the meeting and there was like 20 people crammed into this tiny, tiny table um, in this small room. You know, I, not everybody could even be at the table. Right. I call that second row seating when, yes. you know, you're, you're around the table and then there's a whole other row because <laughs> exactly. you can't sit at the table. Yeah. Exactly. And so it was one of those. And it, so it was already physically uncomfortable for everybody to be on top of each other. But very soon into my putting on the record, so to speak, that I was there because the parents were very, very concerned about the transition to middle school. Um, the director got very aggressive with me. And, um, he, and I can just feel the way that you and I feel when we go to these meetings you know, the teachers were so uncomfortable. I felt so badly for them. They were just sitting there looking like they would rather be swallowed up by the earth <laughs> than be sitting in this meeting where the director is, you know, attacking me. And then I'm unfortunately feeling like I have to get more aggressive in po pointing out the, the violations of the federal law that have occurred that have led us to this place and why we don't think they've offered an appropriate program. And it, it just, it was like within 20 minutes, we're in an argument, which is not how I typically comport myself in IEP meetings. And um, despite the volume of people who had been invited to this meeting by the director, one person who had not been invited to the meeting was the school nurse, the nurse. Okay. Who by then I knew, knew him well, because I had the records and I had seen, it would have been part of what I would have um, put into a um, due process hearing request if I had to down the road, if we hadn't settled it, you know, I was going to put in into that request, you know, he, the number of times that he attended, he, that he went to the nurse's office because it was startling. So as we're sort of going back and forth where the director is challenging my viewpoint and the parents' concerns, all of a sudden there was a knock on the door. And I will never forget it. And this is probably 20 years ago, this meeting. Um, and so someone had to like move their seat to open the door. That's how tight <laughs> it was, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so they, they we sort of like, who's here? Because we get interruptions at these meetings all the time. And somebody has to be called to an emergency or there's a message for somebody in the room. Um, and so we sort of all look to the door, like who's here? And there, lo and behold, was the school nurse. And she came into the meeting. The uninvited guest. The uninvited guest. And I didn't know who she was. I mean, I, I, I knew once the parents told me to, they slipped me a note. Um, that's the nurse, you know. <laughs> and I thought, oh my gosh, what's, gonna, what's going on here? And when I tell you, Julie, you know, if looks could kill, this director would have, you know, eviscerated this nurse in in sec He was so mad at her. It was so obvious how mad he was that she had come to this meeting and he had chosen for her not to be there. And she said, I just, I wanted to come in and talk a little bit about Marco for a minute, if that's okay. I, you know, and we, I said, of, of course. And, you know, the board's lawyer, um, it couldn't say much because there's, there's no way that any reasonable board attorney would try to stop a, a staff member from providing mm -hmm. input when they want to. Um, and so the, uh, the nurse, came in. Um, she didn't sit, sit. She was going to make her statement and leave and there was nowhere for her to sit. Um, and she said, uh, listen, I, you know, Marco's in my office almost every day, sometimes many times a day. He's such a sweet boy. I am really, really worried about his transition. I don't see him in the middle school. And, and I'm getting emotional telling the story because I was like, oh, I can't believe how brave she was. You know, yeah. that was such a brave thing for her to do. 
when she right. knew she had been excluded from the meeting. She knew the parents are there with a lawyer and that the district's there with a lawyer. She knew this is not, you know, she did not have to put her neck out for this situation, but she did. And it stays with me to this day. It, it It's unbelievable. And we're going to, and, and the reasons why it's unbelievable is we're going to go into them a little bit later in some of our other segments within this episode. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a, that's, that's a really brave nurse. And in our next section, we're going to tell you why. So Julie, it's time to talk about the law. Let's and, go for it. um, as we try to make sure people understand in this podcast, not everything that is unfair or inappropriate is illegal. Bad things happen, unfair things happen to people all the time, and it doesn't make it um, an unlawful act. But there are aspects of what happened here that are both technically illegal as well as important just as talking points and teaching teachable moments, so to speak, okay? Mm -hmm. Um, First and foremost, parents have an absolute right to have present at their child's IEP meeting um, those individuals who work with their child or even people who don't work with their child, who know the child from outside of school, to attend the meeting. And they're required to be given notice of who's going to the meeting. And, and in this particular case, while the parents have been given notice, and uh, the notice itself included virtually every person who was a staff member at the school, the notice did say that the nurse was going to be there. Now, that the fact that a person is invited to an IEP meeting does not mean that they are required to be there nor that they will be there, though there are certain members of an IEP team who are required. Uh, a special education teacher is required. The parents are required members of the team. An administrator is a required member of the team. If the student is going to be participating in the mainstream, a general education teacher is required. Um, so there are certain required members, but at minimum, the parents are supposed to know who's going to be there. And had they known in advance that the nurse was invited, but was not obviously encouraged to attend and had to crash the meeting, for lack of a better word, um, they probably would have notified me and asked me to ensure that she be there. Okay. So that's part of a parent's legal entitlement is to know who's going to the meeting. And in this case, so important for her to be there because she held so many keys (laughs) and so much information that was so permanent to decision-making for Marco. Without question. And that the reason that's, that's so important is that Congress, when they created this federal law and have reauthorized, reauthorized it many times over decades, they very much believed that um, parents and school team members of various disciplines, when they come together and they're required to all be there to discuss the student, would, re, would create an IEP document that in most cases would actually meet the student's needs. So if the team is able to get the input of the parent, as well as the input of the people who are working with them in the school and any outside people who, who are working with the child as well, they're likely to get a good sense of that child's needs and develop a program to address their unique needs. That's called the parent's right to meaningfully participate in the development of the IEP. And what happens where uh, an administrator, as is, is unfortunately has happened had happened in this case, when an administrator makes it very clear that he or she is going to take over the meeting, shut down the parent's input and or be aggressive, not really let the team talk or feel free to talk, that is denying the parent the right to access to the information from the people working with their child um, so that they can meaningfully participate in the development of the IEP. Absolutely. And Jen, isn't it true that teachers have their own rights? Let's talk about those. 
They do. Um, not just rights that they obtain by being a member of a union through their collective bargaining agreement or whatever contract exists between um, them and their school district as an employee, but they have rights under both the IDEA, which is the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, and a, a different statute called Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act, okay? And, and both, as well as the Americans with Disabilities Act, you know, there's many statutes that are implicated, but what all of these laws protect teachers against is being retaliated against, fired, um, discriminated against for advocating for the rights of the students that they work with who have disabilities. So if a teacher is at an IEP meeting or outside of an IEP meeting and is advocating that a child needs something different than what is being provided or authorized by the district, and they get in trouble for that, for advocating for the rights of the student with the disabilities, they actually have their own federally protected rights. And, um, you know, there are lawsuits out there that have occurred where teachers have, have been fired. And um, the only reason that, that they've been fired and, and provably so, or large motivating factor is because they were outspoken about the needs of their students who have disabilities. And, you know, Jen, we're such, um, we're, we're, we're so supportive of people who work in school districts. And so what I'm about to say feels a little uncomfortable. I, it's tough to talk about, but the reality is as much as we are champions of of public schools, we do know that it's possible that in some situations, teachers or other folks who work in, in on school teams, whether it be the nurse or whatever, may get um, some pressure from the administration to not say something. Um, and, and it was something that we recognized here in Connecticut um, was a, a challenge. And in fact, in Connecticut, um, we were very successful in um, passing some legislation. Let me tell you about that because we'd love for you in your state to think maybe this is something that you could do where you live. So Jen and I are both involved in a an organization here in Connecticut called SEEK, and that stands for Special Education Equity um, for of Special Education Equity for Kids of Connecticut, and we created this organization so that we could legislate and advocate on behalf of students and parents in Connecticut and special education matters. And the very first legislation that we put out and was successful being passed was an anti-retaliation bill for teachers, which essentially says that teachers cannot be retaliated against for advocating for a student in an IEP team meeting. Now, as we move forward, we'd certainly like that to be expanded outside of the IEP team meeting, but that is why it was so brave for this nurse to come in and say what she did, because as painful as it is to say, we do know of many stories where teachers or other folks who work in school districts can be retaliated against. I mean, I have friends who are teachers and they've told me stories whereby, you know, somebody did something in a school that the administration didn't like, and all of a sudden somebody who's been a teacher for 20 years is back on bus duty outside in the freezing cold in the winter. Yeah. Um, are these things hard to prove? You bet they are. But they happen. And and we we as it's very painful to talk about because we want to be so supportive of public school systems. But you also have to know that these things can and do happen. 
Are we saying we, we, it happens everywhere? No, no, but it can happen. It, it can't happen. It does happen. And we know that not just from, from our friends who are our teachers, but our, you know, our, our clients who are teachers who have children of their own with disabilities who eventually, you know, have a concern with their school district. We know it from the many times Julie and I present to teacher groups and people come up to us afterwards and say, thank you so much for giving me that because I, I've been trying desperately to get this one child I'm working with more services and I keep being shut down and told not to bring it up. You know, we know this from the reality that um, Julie and I have each had the experience where we've been leaving an IEP meeting and, and a yeah. teacher or a staff person has found found a way to pull us aside to tell us something off the record, so to speak, which is um, mm -hmm. very awkward when it happens. Um, we know it from the fact that many of the people who hire us say that they got our name from one of their child's teachers who said, you didn't hear this from me, mm -hmm. but I think you need to bring in a professional to advocate for your child. So we know it happens. I don't think it's the norm. I will say that I, my strong belief, and I know Julie's, is that Almost everyone who gets into public education does so because they care about children. But we also recognize, and, and we have a whole chapter in our book on this topic called, you know, teachers need to eat too. Uh, it, school districts have budgets. People have jobs that they need in order to support their own children. We don't expect and we don't experience that people are going to go out on the line in the way that this, this nurse did every day and go toe to toe with a boss who is saying to them, we just don't have the means to add another one-to-one -one for this child or add another um, out of district placement to our budget. And so, we're, you know, we're very practical. We understand why it's happening, but nobody should fear for their job, especially a teacher, because they're telling the parents what their child needs. And, you know, it's, it's so fundamental to the success of uh, students with disabilities. And why do these things happen in school districts? Well, one of the fundamental reasons is, is that resources can be scarce, funding can be scarce. And this is where Jen and I always want to talk about the fact that when you do the right thing and when you're preventative and you do the right, in, the, the right intervention, it actually saves money in the long run. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, Jen, we really want people who are listening us, listening to us to know that we understand that there is a cost associated with special education, just as there's a cost associated with running the football team or whatever other line item in the budget. Um, special education can often be um, a subject that brings up um, ill feelings because of the amount of money that can be spent on it. But we are fierce, fierce advocates of that when people do the right thing from the beginning, it actually not only saves the school district money in the long run, but it saves society in the long run because we are churning out students who are prepared for adult life, for post-secondary education, for work, and for independent living. Couldn't say it better myself, Julie, because um, students who have skills are far less likely to need the support of um, other adult agencies, et cetera, if they have the skills to support themselves. And early intervention we know across domains, across disabilities will result in better outcomes. So we always say it's not the cost of special education, it's the investment of special education that matters. Okay, Jen, what's the verdict? The verdict is that in some schools, um, educators who are working with children with disabilities are in fact pressured 
uh, not to uh, say what a child needs and not to be open about what a child needs at an IEP team meeting. But the verdict here is that there are many, many brave, strong, wonderful, gracious, generous people who have the courage to speak out if they need to in our public schools and um, they know what these kids need and they are willing to say it, many of them. Exactly, exactly correct. All right, let's do the rewind. The rewind. So this is the part of our podcast where we try to look at what happened and break it down in a way that is proactive and helps you try to avoid making the same mistake. So um, what could have been done here? Well, first and foremost, there are cul- there are cultures in our, our schools, um, just as there are cultures in corporations and in businesses. Some schools do have a very strong culture one way or the other. And some of those uh, schools have cultures where teachers are strongly encouraged to participate and uh, problem solve with parents and uh, put on the record any concern they may have about a particular student and any services they feel that they need. And there are cultures in other schools where that is the opposite, where teachers feel very pressured uh, not to say what a child needs and to just follow along with whatever the administrator of the meeting Um, tells them, usually in a meeting that happens before the meeting, uh, to say. And so how do you change the culture of a school? That's a really tough one, Julie. And it's one of the things where I say to, to parents pretty often, I can accomplish X, Y, and Z for you. You're looking for this and I can probably do that. But if what you're looking for is for your school district or your child's school to dramatically change how they look at individuals with disabilities that's really, really hard for me to accomplish. That's the kind of thing that takes a sea change. And sometimes it happens in a district, and we've seen it happen in Connecticut before, where a bunch of parents get together and say, you know what? It's not okay that we're all being treated badly by our school district, that all of the parents in our community of of children with disabilities feel that these meetings are not cooperative, that their opinions are dismissed. And we have seen where Those families have organized, they have gone to the Board of Education, they have asked for consultants to be hired or for people to come in and take a look at their district, and there's been a change. And so not every every tool available to parents is through the legal system. Um, you You have remedies available to you as citizens. And that includes talking to other parents. If you feel like you're in a, in a, either a school or in a school district that dis, dishonors you and your child and their dignity and their right to have an, an appropriate education, talk to other parents and see what you could do to change it. And, you know, on a smaller scale, Jen, Jen at an IEP meeting, I might suggest as parents, um, as I do when, when I'm working with parents and I'm at an IEP meeting, I really look at everybody around the table. And body language is such a giveaway. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can typically tell if the team is holding back on something, right? And they're they're becoming uncomfortable. But it could be as easy as you being at your IEP team meeting and saying to the folks around the table very politely, you know, guys, I can't help but feel that maybe there's something you're not telling me. And I'd really love for this process to be transparent. And I certainly hope that it can be. And maybe in that meeting, it doesn't drastically change, but you're planting a seed. 
right? Yeah. And just be upfront about it. Look, I'm, I'm sensing that everyone's uncomfortable. Can we talk about it? I mean, it, rather than it being, you know, the elephant in the room, right. just making sure that you address it head on. And, and another way that during the rewind, we can take a look at what could have been done differently. Many parents get the notice for their child's IEP meeting, the formal invitation saying, this is the date, this right. is the time, this is the location, and this is who's invited. And this is the purpose. That's what all of what it's supposed to include. And they just look at the date and the time and the place and they, they don't read the rest of it. Uh, read your notice. Take a good look at who's been invited to your child's IEP meeting. Is there someone you want there who's not invited? If so, reach out to your school in advance and say, I really want to make sure that uh, Ms. Smith is coming to this meeting because I have some questions I'd like to discuss with her. If there's someone on the list who is invited, but you will be very upset if they don't show up because again, just being invited doesn't mean that they're going to be there. Again, contact the administrator. I see that you've invited Ms. Smith. Thank you. Can you let me know whether or not she is planning to attend as if she is not, I'd like to reschedule. Um, so some of it is, as we talk about Julie, changing your own behavior right. in order to see some change in the behavior of your team. I can't tell you how many times I work with parents and I'm getting, you know, they want me to come to an IEP meeting and I say, well, okay, so what, what what's the purpose of the meeting? Oh, oh, I don't know. Well, okay. So I say, okay, go get the meeting. Go get the notice, please. Let's read it together. And, you know, okay, the purpose of the meeting, X, Y, Z. Um, who's attending? A, B, C. And their eyes will bug open wide. They're like, oh, you know, I've never really read one of these. I just look at, you know, and and so this is where the devil in the details is so important, right? Yeah. Um, so you don't want to... Um, and, you know, the reason for a meeting is so important. Unfortunately, I've gone to IEP team meetings and and we'll, we'll bring something up and an administrator will say, well, that wasn't the purpose of the meeting, so we can't talk about that, yeah. which, you know, Not that's true. a whole other subject because yeah. uh, that shouldn't be the case. But no. it's really important to read to read the notice. And and, and, and speaking of reading the notice and records, yeah. you know, this is something you can do. Now, I want to say this, you can do it, whether you should do it is a different question. You can always ask for a copy of your child's educational records. In the case of Marco, Marco's parents knew because they were talking to the nurse frequently that she saw him every day, that he was always there. They, you know, she'd call, he says he has a stomach ache. I don't think he really has a stomach ache. You know, they were in frequent contact and they liked each other very much. And the parents were not in any way unaware of Marco's propensity to avoid class by going to the nurse's office. But many families are unaware that that kind of thing is happening. And they would find out if they asked for their child's educational records. I I always get a, co a copy of my client's educational records when I'm hired. I always send them to the parent to start looking at. And almost always, there's something in the records that the parents had no idea was going on, a communication between the team, a meeting they didn't know anything about, uh, et cetera. Now, whether you should, you're entitled to, okay? And some parents do it every year just because they want to make sure that they're on top of everything that's happening in school. But I can assure you that a parent requesting a copy of their child's educational records is going to send a red flag up to the school district that you're upset about something mm -hmm. um, or that you might be prepping to bring in either an advocate or an attorney. It's definitely going to be a red flag. You may want that to be their impression. You may not want that to be their, their impression. I just don't want you to do it without realizing that it does send a message to the school district that you are gathering your information probably to take it to some next level. Um, and so if, if that's not your hope, if you just genuinely want to see all of your child's educational records, how you go about asking for that will be important. 
and Jen, curious minds want to know, what happened to Marco? What happened to Marco is that um, the school district's lawyer, who um, you know is smart, um, was smart, is smart, recognized that going to a due process hearing over an out-of-district placement with a witness, the nurse, who was going to be obviously willing to take the stand and testify about her opinions because she had put them on the record in the IEP meeting, uh, was not a good way to spend the school district's resources and that it would be a much better thing to do to um, try to resolve the case with the parents amicably, whereby the parents agreed to pay some portion of the placement and the district agreed to pay another portion of the placement. Um, and that's what ended up happening. He ended up going to a private school um, that was just much smaller and had some special education staff that could address his needs in a much smaller environment. And the good news is that um, he eventually was able to, after middle school, attend the district's public high school because he had obtained not just the skills necessary, but also the self-esteem necessary to feel like he was a, a good, solid learner um, and that he could be liked by his peers. And there's, you know, there's really no um, way to, to state it otherwise that kids who feel good about themselves, just like adults who feel good about themselves, it, it can change everything. Well, that's such a happy ending. And it it's was. just a... Um, a testimony to how impactful intervention can be. And for him to be able to come back to the public school is exactly what we're talking about. We want, you know, what we, you, in the very beginning, perhaps, Marco may not have ever had to go to an out of district private special education school had the intervention perhaps been more impactful. And so, but what a happy ending that he was able to come back to the public school. And on that note, Jen, we're going to close the file on Marco in the meeting. Until we open up our next file, this is Jen Laviano. And Julie Swanson. The Special Ed Files is a production of the Quinnipiac University Podcast Studio. Our executive producer is Dave DeRoche, Quinnipiac Director of Community Programming. File closed.